Hi, I'm Master Plumber and Lead Green Associate Ed Del Grande, and I'm here to show you Kohler's Intelligent Toilet Portfolio. The first intelligent toilet I'd like to show you is the Caring. Even though it's the opening price point for intelligent toilets, it's loaded with features. You have automatic opening and closing of the lid, a heated toilet seat, warm water cleansing, and a great remote control. For people looking to upgrade, we have the Veil Intelligent Toilet. The Veil features dual flushing options and a touchscreen remote control. Kohler gives you a stainless steel cleansing wand with ultraviolet light sanitization. A great option with the Veil Intelligent Toilet is you can get all the Veil features in a wall-hung model. A wall-hung toilet allows you to raise and lower the bowl according to customer's needs, and it will open up a little extra space in smaller bathrooms. Now, for the most advanced intelligent toilet from Cola, here's the Numi. Numi features ambient lighting and Bluetooth speakers so you can stream your music throughout your whole bathroom. For extra comfort, Numi features a heated seat and heated feet with a built-in foot warmer. Only Cola gives you that. Also, you have hands-free lifting of the seat. Welcome to another edition of The Plunge, your basement bunker podcast for the apocalypse. The government's shut down for a record time, Sam. Is Washington uh, just completely devastated by this? Yeah, I think people are getting out of the honeymoon period with the shutdown. I mean, people are just now starting to miss paychecks, I think. Um, it's not a good situation. It sort of reinforces my theory that the United States government has been reduced to like a banana republic. But you mean a banana republic in the actual definition, not the retailer. Yeah, I don't mean that it's turning into like, you know, retail clothes for Log Islanders. By a banana republic, I mean the actual term comes back to when in the early 20th century they would knock over Latin American governments so that they could more easily sell bananas or citrus or fruit or some other, you know, agricultural commodity. And they would install these puppet governments that basically kept things together well enough for appearances, but had more or less a vested interest in selling off holdings to Americans, to f fruit growers or whatever other industrial conglomerates. And I think that's basically what we have here. We've basically seen the wholesale plunder of our government's resources by corporate America at this point. And what's left is just this husk. You know, Trump's administration is rushing to sell off even like national lands and parks to, you know, energy companies and people are going to drill coal in like the Grand Canyon or some shit like that. So that's what we got here. That's what we have to look forward to, sadly. Well, I for one uh, wish the furloughed TSA workers well. You know, once the airports go down, Sam, that's when it begins. Yeah, I mean, I sort of do feel like we're on the cusp of like if the we were going to see this massive transition of power, it would be now, but I feel like everyone is so just fucking disorganized at this point that no one's going to seize the opportunity. No, and it's pretty easy to be like removed from it if you're not a government employee. For sure. So we have a study that says old people are posting the most fake news. Now, this is something we could have told you. We've been talking about this for a while. The 
elderly generations do not know how to post. That's right. This finding that was in a study done by researchers at NYU and Princeton found that across education, race, sex, income, any other any other like demographic line, old people share the most fake news, even across party lines, even like Republicans were more susceptible to sharing fake news, obviously, but Democrats also, older people skewed higher in terms of sharing fake news. I've been saying this for years. you got to warn your grandparents and parents about what they look at on the Internet. It's completely shifted around. It used to be that they thought we were all going to be, you know, assaulted because we made MySpaces in, like, eighth grade or whatever. Now we have to keep our just elderly relatives from sharing fake news and becoming conspiracy theorists. Well, it goes back to, I think, this uh, illiteracy with the internet and the fact that too many people over the age of, let's say, 60 uh, think that just because it appears in a computer screen, it is a real story just because it has the right, uh, you know, uh, typeface. Right. And this is also not to say that like old people are uniquely dumb or something. As you said, it's a matter of internet literacy, but also the fact that there are a lot of unscrupulous companies and people and scammers out there who try to take advantage of older people, even mail scams and all those kinds of low grade, like just fucking boondoggles that people send out disproportionately prey on elderly people elderly people are the ones who respond to those and to the those nigerian mailers. prince yes exactly they're the ones sending like itunes gift cards to like rwanda or whatever i mean that it's it's a shame it's not entirely their fault but as we have said on this show we could have told you so <laughs> and i feel like it is important to note that it's 18 percent of republicans shared links to fake news sites in the study, and that compares to less than 4% of Democrats. So there is a slight disparity. Right, and I think that even though we want to be wary about using ideas like fake news or arguing that this played too significant of a role in the... 2016 election I, I don't think we want to do that as we have noted it is still relatively low the amount of people who actually share pe- these fake news stories online most people can tell it's nonsense and i don't think it like swayed anyone who was going to vote for hillary clinton to vote for trump but it just goes to show i mean it's uh, there are a lot of scammers out there and you really can't trust like anything you see on the internet for the most part Another thing I don't trust, Sam, I don't trust the jewel because (laughs) the jewel is a product that just seems too good to be true. You shouldn't be able to inhale that much vaporized uh, nicotine and uh, whatever else is in there so uh, rapidly. Yeah, I've never like inhaled a jewel before i it doesn't it's not something that appeals to me but i also thought this was and this is probably the controversial aspect of this 
I thought this is something for mostly like teenagers. Jules, uh, I think the worst part about them is that uh, even people who don't smoke uh, cigarettes will uh, get attracted to them uh, because they seem uh, less harmful than normal cigarettes. I saw a chart that was comparing, I guess, Juul, which is considered sort of like a tech startup at this point, compared to other unicorns, quote unquote, which are, you know, billion dollar startups, usually in Silicon Valley. And the growth of Juul compared to like all these other, you know, Uber and like other massive startups is so astronomical. And I think a lot of people rightly took the point that this is they're selling an addictive substance. <laughs> like they're selling like there's just cigarettes in a different form. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very, uh, you know, sleek looking product. And that is obviously why it attracted the sleek ex-White House chief strategist, <laughs> Steve Bannon. He definitely looks like he does like four jewel pods a day. <laughs> he Well, he has a different jewel pod in the like breast pocket of all each one of the like four shirts he's wearing at any given time like four button-up shirts with a shirt pocket he's got to have one jewel in each one but uh he in general i it's so funny that he resurfaces in these kinds of interesting places i know that steve bannon is has a little bit of a brain on his shoulders in that he i guess knows that Jewel is a massive moneymaker and that being a lobbyist for Jewel would be a huge cash cow. But he's so like mediocre, as we talked about in episode one, that he, of course, gets denied. And he has been denied for this lobbying gig with Jewel, which, given the implications of Jewel's presence in our market... And in our the way the attempts to regulate it for its flavors, which you went into. And I think the general fear that a lot of people have, which is founded, that teenagers can do jewels in like their bedroom and their parents wouldn't be able to tell. It's not like smoking cigarettes where you have to like sneak out or something, I guess, because the smell of a cigarette is so insanely strong that your if you were doing that in your bedroom, your parents wouldn't notice eventually, even if you were blowing it out the window, I guess. But at with the jewel, it's very easy to conceal this, and there's this humongous panic behind it. So similar to any other startup, but with the added level of like you're lobbying for the tobacco industry, a lobbyist job with jewel is going to go to like the top fucking government relations lawyers in DC. It's not going to go to like Steve Bannon. No, I literally think this is the kind of thing where the guy who smoked weed since he was like 14 years old work wants to work in the weed industry. I think he's just like enjoys the product. Yeah. Steve Bannon definitely is, is jewels that get hard to like own the Chinese or something. And I'm also a customer. <laughs> yeah. So Bannon apparently made this pitch that he <laughs> would be jewels. So their liaison to the government. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame that didn't pan out. Because, as you know, we're always a, f a fan of Steve Bannon being in like the most ludicrous positions possible. And honestly, if, without, if, if he was their lobbyist, it would kind of thwart a lot of their lobbying intentions <laughs> and maybe make the world a little better, a bit of a better place since we are, I guess, 
I think we agree that we are anti-Jewel on this uh, program. That's right. I mean, if he was their lobbyist, then they they would be fucking up all over the place. And, you know, nobody, no Democratic politician is going to get in a room with this guy anyway. And you'd have to convince a few of them to not regulate this out of existence. But it's just so ridiculous on its face. And, uh, you know, just a great slice of life in 2019. Yeah, it's just like that. 2019 sort of mad libs it's like yeah steve bannon wanted to work for jewel and was rejected it's like okay (laughs) interestingly we have steve bannon trying to become a lobbyist uh, on the payroll for jewel when we also had this new yorker article from Former tobacco company lobbyist Malcolm Gladwell in, I guess, the most reefer madness sort of fashion. Uh, why, you know, the dangers of uh, unknown to us of marijuana. And he says, I'm puzzled why pot advocates would be hostile to the idea of learning more about the consequences of their habit. Right. So. Oh, and he compares it with climate denial. Yeah. <laughs> In this article, he basically rehashes, for The New Yorker, he rehashes a lot of, like you said, these kind of reefer madness, I guess, debunked arguments about how pot might not be safe for you. He literally goes to say that he's like, he mentions that there, there is a correlation between mental health issues and marijuana usage. And he goes, he literally says something to the tune of like, correlation doesn't mean causation, but there sure is a lot of correlation. And it's just, he's just like reanimating. He's like taking a defibrillator to like gateway theory, the gateway drug theory and shit like that. And just all these arguments from like the 1970s and 80s, like shit you hear in Dare, um, just redoing that for the 2019 liberal And the reason this is connected to Steve Bannon is because, as many people have correctly noted, like, Malcolm Gladwell used to be a humongous shill for Philip Morris and the cigarette industry. He was paid kind of to get the uh, tobacco company's side across through his articles at the Washington Post. Yeah, just about the Philip Morris uh, thing. There's like a document from the 1990s that named Malcolm Gladwell as one of the industry's top like covert media assets. And he was on a list of known shills, including Tony Snow, Grover Norquist, Milton Friedman and Ed Fulner, the head of the Heritage Foundation. Just like such a fucking list of you know awful fox news anchor grover norquist is what the americans for tax reform guy who basically argues that any tax on any kind of you know business activity is just like fucking stalinism milton friedman one of the economists who's like the chief architects of what we you know call neoliberalism today he is like the one guy you can really call a neoliberal and of course the head of, head of the heritage foundation but conspicuous amongst these people is fucking malcolm gladwell who is published in the new yorker and is known as like this liberal kind of I mean, even outside of his heinous lobbying activities, I feel like he's just this 
fucking annoying, like fake philosopher who says really banal and I guess tawdry observations, but rehashes them to make them kind of, I guess, revolutionary for like the TED talk crowd. I guess what's frustrating about him is he markets himself as this like objective, like egghead. Yes. Goes by the facts guy when he obviously has biases and comparing like people criticizing his piece to climate denial is unfair. We all know that like obviously more research has to be done about the, uh, you know, uh, effects of uh, weed. Yeah, it's clear that behind his whole 10,000 hours nonsense, he is still kind of a dude with a lot of biases, and he also is not alien to having someone pay him to say things. I mean, when he was a tobacco shill, he did pen this horrendous article for the Washington Post in the 90s. It's titled not smoking could be hazardous to the pension system this the subtitle is medicare social security may be pinched if anti-tobacco campaign succeeds report says so behind that kind of objective framing what he is saying is that if an and more people i'm sorry if less people die from smoking cigarettes it might be bad for the economy that's literally or bad for like medicare and social security that's literally what he's fucking saying he's literally saying like it might be some people think it's good that people won't die from lung cancer as much but can we afford to have that happen it's just i remember my dad mentioning this to me when i guess we were getting that you know, when we were like nine or 10 years old and getting all that kind of like don't smoke kids like dare stuff, I think started up when we were like 10 or 11 years old. And um, I remember him saying something like this to me, like like there are a lot of people who think that we need people to smoke because I think I was asking at the time, you know, why don't they just make smoking cigarettes illegal? And my dad mentioned this idea to me when I was like 10 years old. And it's crazy that it's Malcolm Gladwell and he has somehow survived into 2019 and is still pushing this kind of like antiquated view, still kind of, I guess, just echoing the whims of the tobacco industry. Of course, until the tobacco industry, like Philip Morris just buys every marijuana corporation that's currently in existence. And uh, then Malcolm Gladwell will be talking about how everyone should smoke weed. It's interesting that we found out this week that the only reason the government is shut down is the wall and funding for this border wall. And the, the wall, according to the New York Times, was a device so that Trump would remember to mention immigration during his campaign speeches during like the uh, campaign run. So this is hilarious. He is a baby with no object permanence. Yes, this is uh, I got this from a New York times article of course it has like a hilarious headline because the new york times has to be just painfully objective even when obviously just some fuckery is about this headline is how the border wall is boxing trump in (laughs) and it mentions how i mean the shutdown is largely because of funding for border security and for specifically this 
preposterous wall that Trump keeps talking about, but it mentions why Trump keeps talking about the wall. And apparently, Sam Nunberg, who we discussed on the show, uh, one of Trump's early political advisors, recalled telling Roger Stone, another advisor, that he want he was like, how do we get him to talk about immigration? Because we're going to use immigration as this hot button issue to rally support, rally racist ass support for Donald Trump. And they landed on this idea that they were going to tell him he's going to talk about building a wall because I guess it kind of makes sense. He's a construction guy, like a real estate guy. So building things is kind of in the limited mental functions that Trump is used to doing. Like, I mean, what is your take on that? Well, I just want to remind our audience that Sam Nunberg is the guy who went on all the cable news shows extremely drunk that day. If you're going to defy a grand jury subpoena, are you worried about being held in contempt of court? Let's see what Mr. Mueller does. Are you worried about getting arrested? I think it would be funny if they arrested me. Do you think I should cooperate with Should I spend 80 hours going over my emails, Jake? If it were me, I would. I mean, if you're just asking my opinion, just because it sounds like a pain, but he is the special counsel and he does have the the long arm of the law. Because I... I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. He treated me like crap. Right. Okay. They probably have something on Trump. Trump did something pretty bad. I find assume. What do they have? I don't know. I think some people are worried about you and they're worried about what you're doing. I think other people are upset because we just showed the White House, which doesn't want to comment on this, responding to you. So clearly you Sarah are. In, should, Sarah should shut up. Frankly. Clearly you're in the eye of a storm. Sarah should shut up. Right. Right. I do remember that. But yeah, I think that especially because they knew that he was better when he was unscripted. So that was obviously going to be how his rallies were going to go. And his like unhinged campaign speeches were just not going to be about anything. If you gave him like no, uh, you know, parameters. So it makes sense. I guess that this was just like, yeah, a construction related item that he could remember and be like, you know related to his career so he could talk about like the steel and how beautiful like the you know the metals look or i think that the reason people were concerned back then was that on his rants you didn't know where he was gonna go and he also would frequently like give away something that i don't think many republican interests wanted him to give away like when he you know, he would occasionally be weirdly liberal on certain things during the hippie Trump phase that I've talked about. Like when he was like, I'm never going to touch Social Security or Medicare. I could hear like the the Cato Institute and like the Republican gasps of people who were just like, oh, no, 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 no. Like we don't want him to say things like that. So the wall also kind of has a, a way of shaping his view on immigration in these construction terms and these easy to remember terms, but also in a hard line like atmosphere he's basically saying his view on immigration is a wall that means his view on immigration is keep people out it's a very basic way for him them him to remember that he's supposed to be hardline about this issue the fact that he has stuck to his guns on this when it's like i mean at this point like things are about to start actually falling apart now that uh, employees are not going to be paid during the furlough yeah i mean if i if i was gonna make the 
real hell world prediction, I would say they're going to build at least some of the wall. As it stands, he wants to have a 1,000-mile wall. There are 654 miles currently of existing barriers between the United States and Mexico, which are rife with weird issues pertaining to how the government used like eminent domain and seized part of people's territory to like build those barriers, which is what Trump wants to do. He wants to declare like a state of emergency so that he can like march the army in to build the wall or something. But as it stands, it's an ecological disaster and a legal just fucking shit show as it is for anyone living near the border. But I, I see them building like 200 miles more of wall, honestly. Like the Democrats will, I think, at the end of the day, cave to some degree because they they always do on border security. It would be like a radical shift if they really didn't give Trump anything on this, even though he is Donald Trump. Well, uh, I'll tell you about a radical shift. Beto O'Rourke's oh. dental care... Uh, his teeth uh, are radically shifting to a perfect uh, sym- symmetry. <laughs> I'm here at the dentist, and we're going to continue our series on the people of the border. I'm here with Diana, my dental hygienist. Um, Diana's going to tell us a little bit about growing up in El so this is becoming another one of our beats is people trying to do the AOC thing where, <laughs> I mean, in this case, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her internet persona have clearly like just become a force of nature at this point. And her Instagram live appearances of her cooking like macaroni and cheese in an instant pot have inspired every aging politician who does not know how to use the internet properly and never really instagrammed anything live before this probably is what elizabeth warren's like cracking beers and beto o'rourke is like instagram living or instagramming his teeth cleaning at like at his dental visits yes i'm looking at the screenshots and you know i'm seeing the rubber gloves of a hygienist you know, his saliva is being sucked. Uh, this is literally revolting. Now, it, it does... I, I know, I think this does illuminate the degree to which these politicians are trying to seem authentic. And I'm... You know, this goes beyond, uh, like, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I think that this is a extremely... Like, I'm looking at this picture, and and during the video, he's asking the dental hygienist about her experience growing up near the border, so it's, I I don't know where to go with this, Sam, this is... How do you think that I rarely ever, ever, Hispanic, what, can you spit, sir? Yeah, this, uh... Instagram live video reminds me a lot of the episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm when Larry David gets a picture of his teeth taken at the dentist and then his uh, best friend's daughter acts like finds it in his jacket and she's just traumatized by the grisly sight of like an older man's teeth. That's how I feel watching this Instagram live video. 
Yeah, it's obviously a traumatic sight to see the inside of someone's mouth, especially in this medical context. Uh, it's especially when you're just like someone who follows a popular politician on Instagram. Like, you wouldn't think like this would be the tactic that they would use to, you know, anything they do is an attempt to, uh, you know, sell themselves and. Obviously, Beto uh, hasn't announced he's running for president or anything, but uh, he obviously wants to be an influencer. But of course, something that I don't think Beto took into account is that millennials, look, we don't go to the dentist. Like some People our age don't have good like health insurance or dental coverage. <laughs> it's not very relatable for us. It's kind of relatable for, I guess, people his age, but... Uh, they're not going to be on Instagram Live looking for videos of Beto's teeth cleaning either. So hard to tell who he thought was going to enjoy this and why he thought they were going to enjoy it. Okay. In other completely normal things going on in politics, uh, this Daily Coast <laughs> uh, publisher, Marcos Mulitsas, has donated thousands of roses to Nancy Pelosi. Yes. Apparently this guy who is the founder of the Daily Coast, which, like, what is your experience with the Daily Coast, Dan? It's basically just, like, liberal fodder. It's <laughs> It's been, I guess, criticized for its lack of, I guess, honesty and reporting, kind of misrepresentation of certain facts, but it is... It is really for like people who want that like red blooded like just pure liberal propaganda without too much substance. Yeah, in my experience, uh, which I don't really haven't really read it in quite some time, but it's like it's like a step uh, below like Huffington Post. Yeah, for sure, that's a good way to characterize it. Uh, it's compelling when you're maybe like a freshman in college and you're really into liberal stuff, but. Not at any point afterwards, but this dude raised $85,000 in order to buy 25,000 roses for Nancy Pelosi. And if that price seems steep to you, you're kind of right. He was apparently selling them to people who wanted to buy these roses at retail prices, meaning that they took a profit and Daily Coast made money off of this exchange. Just got Basically, it's a humongous boondoggle. It's like when uh, FDR paid people to like during uh you know wpa jobs to like plant flowers by the highway I mean, it's literally like just selling roses to i guess gullible liberals so they can support the daily coast and you know send a rich lady who i think nancy pelosi's worth like a hundred million dollars um like they can send her roses for i guess standing up to donald trump or something is what i guess liberals are really interested in nancy pelosi for these days I like how the quote in the write-up in the Splinter, like the only uh, uh, the only quote I'm seeing from Pelosi is like, "I've never seen so many roses in my life." Pelosi said as she surveyed the veritable garden. Like it's it doesn't even say she like really appreciated it or she was like excited about it. Like yeah, she looks. She clearly decide. was like, "This seems like a, something that would happen on like Veep, where like she would just hate it immediately, but have to like." you know, pretend to appease this, like, weirdo from the Daily Coast. 
Yeah, just like totally over the shoulder to her aides, like get the shit out of here. And I think she ended up donating eighteen thousand of the twenty five thousand roses to you know a hospital, and uh, <laughs> because clearly she doesn't want like they. Can you imagine after like what? How do you put seven thousand roses, even just seven thousand roses, in water and keep them? healthy for more than like a day they're clearly just like fucking plants like dying in her musty ass office you know what i mean definitely and let's keep it moving and head into the pop culture corner and you know i like characterizing this as pop culture because this figure so i think jeff bezos tries to portray himself in the media sometimes is this like quiet ceo who isn't like in the spotlight but that's such bullshit because like he he shows up to like hollywood award shows for like you know uh his amazon series and it's like there's a reason why he got his company into this like entertainment space where they spend like a billion dollars on a Lord of the Rings series. <laughs> and they're just like blowing all this money, you know, for on like original series, basically just as like a, you know, a, 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 f- a fun side project for Bezos. But I think he does try to put himself out there and uh, be this, you know, sort of, figure of pop culture so that's definitely true it more so in dc too which you might be not as key uh, like aware of he like bought the biggest house in dc and clearly is like he bought the washington post like he's clearly looking forward to i guess being like a local celebrity in dc and in new york the vibe i'm getting is that people don't like that they they're getting an hq2 like a second amazon headquarters but here people are like really into the idea that jeff bezos is going to be here they're they all want him to like buy the metro so that he can fix it or something liberals i think or democrats said that amazon was the most their most trusted institution in a poll done by something tank or other and they they did that they put amazon above colleges and universities and stuff like Jeff Bezos is definitely interested in cultivating this like very overwhelmingly positive media pers- like persona that he has currently. Yeah, because you know, you're over the age of 25. What did college give you? Bam, loans. What did what did Amazon give you? Bam, uh, you know, uh, content. Uh, a, a new content <laughs> prime. Yeah, delivery. I mean, it's definitely like Sort of like what I said earlier about the United States government being a banana republic. I mean, people trust our corporate overlord, Jeff Bezos, more, especially around here, especially liberals around here, trust him more than the government, for sure. Like, any day. Well, ladies, he's single. Lex Luthor, I mean, he's like J.K. Simmons, a sort of nerdier version, sort of like you know coffee at the uh you know guy guy who won't stop talking to you at the at the coffee machine at the office uh you know bald sort of middle-aged guy he's single that's right a 
veritable walking pile of money, Jeff Bezos, who is currently worth like $140 billion or something. I love how every estimate of his worth, his net worth, is within like a $40 billion range. People are always like, he's worth $100 billion. No, he's worth $160 billion. Or like, it's, it's completely fucking fluid because Amazon at this point just controls so much of the economy and is a veritable trust that would have been, I guess, broken up in any period of time earlier than this within the 20th century, but that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about his his dating life. He is divorced after after 25 years and uh, from his wife, Mackenzie. So she really saw this company grow. She was with him when he was a loser. <laughs> yeah, everyone's and... like, she stood by her, her man when he was working out of his garage. And I was like, he worked on Wall Street before that. <laughs> yeah, it is funny when you look at the sort of items that they have to split up. So, so I'm reading that there is a rare guitar collection to bank accounts in the Cayman Islands. Uh, oh, Barbie dolls uh, in the box, uh, fresh. So there is so much property to be split, uh, not to mention, I'm sure, billions in liquid assets. Yeah, I mean, Mackenzie Bezos stands to become possibly the world's richest woman if she gets even close to half of you know the Bezos fortune and the I found an Atlantic article that talked a lot about how I guess divorces amongst like extremely high net worth individuals go and there are a lot of like things to consider I mean the fact like you said she was with him the whole time that Amazon was coming up so she does have a veritable claim to all the money he made during this time, the article does mention that sometimes in situations like this, the men in who own the company, usually it is the man who does this, um, will f- kind of downplay his own role in the company to make it seem like he had less of a role in making it profitable or showing growth over a certain period of time because then his wife has had less of a role and therefore he has more of a claim bizarrely to the money that he made during this time um there's a lot of ways it could go it also does mention that some judges will if you're splitting up 20 billion dollars and the wife gets one billion dollars then the judge is going to be like, you're not necessarily entitled to the other nine because you already got $1 billion. I mean, if she even gets like 1% of his fortune, she'll be a multi-billionaire. So, I mean, it's not really... Uh, she'll she'll come out of it fine either way, but it is so bizarre. It's such like an element of this like late capitalist hell that we live in that we're in our pop culture corner discussing... A, a divorce in which both of the people stand to be, even if they split their joint fortune, they stand to be worth more than the GDP of like a you know developing nation. <laughs> they did not have a prenuptial agreement. Nope. So, you know, f- fellas, uh, you paying attention? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Where are all my my billionaire mindset, uh, my billionaire boys club, where are all y'all at? But um, it's funny. I mean, it also goes to show, I guess, a way that like capital is concentrated, especially at like this high level and how gendered money is in that the if Mackenzie Bezos becomes the world's richest woman after, you know, 
getting her her husband's billionaire billions um she would pass the heiress to the l'oreal fortune francois betancourt myers as the world's richest woman uh, a lot of the women on the list of the world's richest women are women who came out of divorces like this with extremely high net worth individuals and got a lot of their money and i'm not saying that like women are incapable of making their own money but money usually ends up in the hands of men which should maybe dispel some of these like meritocracy claims that people have i mean money is still overwhelmingly gendered men still overwhelmingly control most of the world's wealth to the point that even the women in the world who control a extremely significant amount of wealth usually got it from like a man it's it's kind of fucked up how only men are like able to i guess generate income at this like high level in this day and age, there's always more to these sort of stories, and allegations have come out that Bezos may have been having an affair. Oh, yeah. Just when your like, $140 billion divorce couldn't be any more juicy, or, or as Trump said, he's like, that divorce is going to be a beauty. <laughs> it's a steamy, steamy love affair that... One of the lawyers said it is unlikely to actually have any uh, bearing on how the judges decide to divide the assets up. And specifically, they apparently say the precedent is it would only matter if the dallying spouse used marital assets to further the affair. Mm. And, I, I, I mean, that makes no sense to me. This just sounds like some rich people uh get out of paying your wife a free card yeah i would say that because i mean how can you make that meaningful distinction well sam who gets the shirtless selfies in the divorce and the genital photos i bet jeff bezos because one thing that this divorce showed me is that jeff bezos is a nasty nasty bitch man he he, he fucked his best friend's wife <laughs> like <laughs> it's not great you know um and what if he like continues down this line down this like pop culture figure you know lo local socialite like great gatsby sort of like path and he's just leaking his own nudes and like he's having just like messy affairs across dc this might be the era of a whole new jeff bezos you know i think a lot of ugly dudes a lot of like Dudes who weren't cool when they were younger but now are powerful like to come to D.C. and kind of flex on everybody in the their own sad way. And I think that we might witness a phase of that with Jeff Bezos here. My source on this is a classy Daily Mail article uh, titled The Revealed, The Shirtless Selfies, A Photo of His Genitals, and Lusty Text, Jeff Bezos Sent His Married Mistress. So his married mistress is this lady, Lauren Sanchez, who is married to Patrick Whitesell, who is like a Hollywood mega agent. They've been married since 2005, and Patrick Whitesell is a good friend of Jeff Bezos, but... I mean, like, what does that say about a man who is so powerful? Like, you're the richest man in the world by a wide margin. You are one of the most powerful people. You control such, a, like, a significant segment of the economy, but you are still this fucking nasty and petty. And the sexts are just kind of, like, 
Yikes. I want to smell you. I want to breathe you in. I want to hold you tight. I want to kiss your lips. I love you. I am in love with you. <laughs> I love you alive, girl. <laughs> what does that mean? So, I mean, <laughs> this is definitely I will also- show you with my body and my lips and my eyes very soon. Dude, I mean, he's a computer geek. He's like two notches away from like a 4chan weirdo i mean <laughs> you know what i'm saying he's a fu- he's clearly just like he cl- doesn't react to humans in a normal way so he definitely doesn't react to women in a normal way so sam how do you want to close out our segments on jeff bezos i mean it's just so f- it, it, it's crazy how i spend so much time arguing that you can never understand the machinations of a relationship between two extremely wealthy people. I say this all the time about like everyone wants to evaluate like Beyonce and Jay-Z's relationship because they do present a significant portion of it in their art and in their public persona, but they also hide a even more significant portion of how they probably actually interact with one another. And it's so funny with this one because it kind of like belies what I normally say about like celebrity marriages, which is like there's it's so gross and understandably petty and his texts are so just fucking, I don't know, like I can imagine so many just un like socially anxious, unexperienced men sending texts like that. I guess it just, it makes too much sense to me. It's too relatable. I feel like Jeff Bezos is to me, I would have said prior to this, the least relatable person on earth. But now I'm like, damn, he's, these people really are just like us, which is kind of fucking shocking. They don't have the same consequences as us, but it's just so kind of gross. I don't know. In closing your energy and ideas and competence and in all caps spirit turn me on. Well, Jeff Bezos and his wife will always see wonderful futures ahead as parents, friends, partners in ventures and projects, and as individuals pursuing ventures and adventures. So who knows what that's supposed to mean? Clearly that's like a a nod to how fucking complicated their you know, multi-billion dollar divorce is going to be. But there will definitely be stories down the road that we can pick up in this disgusting disgusting development but speaking of other you know mud slathered foul steamy events woodstock is being rebooted i mean it was only a matter of time right we, we've seen reboots in film television uh you know hansen like goes on tour now so why not reboot woodstock yeah, I mean, they're, it went so well when they rebooted Woodstock in the 90s, in 1994, and then the in, infamous 1999 debacle where people lo- like lit a bunch of shit on fire and there were a bunch of, I guess, like un- uninvestigated accounts of sexual assault and really bad stuff. Green Day was there, I think, or something. Yeah, just a, a terribly organized event and... I want to say they had like a water shortage. It was just a disaster. It was the fire fest of the 90s. But this 
50th anniversary festival is going to be held at Watkins Glen. The original guy who organized Woodstock, Michael Lang, the promoter, um, is behind this one. It's unrelated to another Woodstock reboot, which is a uh, going to take place in Bethel Woods, which I think is the original site of the of the 1969 Woodstock. I've actually been there before. It's not a bad place, but um, I, I guess it's just, how do we situate this in the culture of reboots? And I guess just the repetition of like American culture, I feel like just is going and has been going in cycles since like the sixties. If that's not too weird to take as a, to swallow that pill. Well, like any reboot, it will feature, sort of ornaments of the past you'll have apparently people like carlos santana uh, maybe the living members of certain other groups that were at the original event and a a mix of (laughs) hip-hop rock and some pop and some legacy bands like i said so it's just to me like in an age where there are so many of these goddamn festivals now right. all the time, there's nothing special about this. They're just trying to cash in on the name Woodstock. It's going to be like childish Gambino and like Tame Impala. And like basically just, it's just Coachella. It's the same kind of, I guess, market, right? Like people who want to go to a music festival, which doesn't always mean the people who are like the biggest music fans in the world. It, it, a lot of people I think are just there for the experience, having been to a fair few of these kind of music festivals myself. I think the list of artists that they rumored were going to be approached for the Bethel Woods event, not the, you know, the real deal Michael Lang Woodstock reboot, but the the simultaneous one in Bethel Woods. In, the names include Daft Punk, Bruce Springsteen, Eminem, Ariana Grande, Coldplay, Fish, The Weekend, Elton John. All right, all right stop. Bon Jovi. <laughs> What's special about that? The Chainsmokers. Like fucking like it's just like any other event. It's there's the, the these are not. I don't know. Who cares? Like it's like any other fucking boring Marvel reboot. <laughs> it really is. It's 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 just the same fucking thing. It's I, I they. They have this uncanny ability these days to reboot shit and just, but the reboots are have more in common with one another than the original events did, if that makes sense. Like they always reboot them the same way. Yeah. <laughs> with just the same, like, anach- anachronistic, I guess, uh, elements. I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's just a bizarre. A bizarre thing and like my parents are like hippies like I, I know people have been to like Woodstock before it's I'm not knocking music festivals but just like this framing seems weird to me how about a smart toilet <laughs> Sam <laughs> speaking of <laughs> shitty events <laughs> so I, I this product came across my timeline and there's an article about this smart toilet and i just this was like the funniest thing i've ever heard because quote it promises a fully immersive experience oh you're gonna be just immersed in the toilet 
Well, well, well let's ex- describe the the experience. So it's got heated seats. It's got like speakers. It has neon underglow, like a car from uh, like Fast and the Furious. It's got Amazon Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> You could shit in front of like an artificial intelligence. I mean, this is really 2019 is off to a to a blockbuster start. But yeah, ambient mood lighting, surround sound speakers, voice controls. This thing retails for $7,000, but the model if you want to get it in black is $9,000 inexplicably. I actually like this as a pop culture item because it's like entertainment. Yeah. It is portraying itself as this futuristic sort of entertainment device, but it's also a toilet. Right. So for anyone in the market for this preposterously expensive toilet, it's called the it's a Kohler Numi 2.0 intelligent toilet. And Kohler has like a, a thing I got from this article in The Verge about it is that there's a ton of, I guess, AI powered bathroom gadgets these days. I mean, uh, or not AI powered, but you know what I mean? Like smart, like showers, smart sinks, smart mirrors that cost more than TVs. They mentioned like two models of smart mirrors. They're like $1,600. It's just, this is the bizarre world we live in. (laughs) You just know there's some fat guy at the other end of all these smart bathroom products just like watching you shit and shower. Oh, I, I I thought you were gonna say like the mirror would be fat shaming. Like I would get in front of the mirror and the mirror would be like, "You have gained like six inches on your waist since <laughs> high school, <laughs> or something." Like it would really go in on me. Jeff Bezos will analyze your bowel movements through <laughs> Alexa in order to properly sell you more uh, vitamins. Yeah, that's probably the reason for the divorce was <laughs> just, hey, honey, come here. Look at this. This person's shitting corn again. Like From his like prototype smart toilet poop analysis for, you know, Amazon Alexa. I, I don't know. This is a, as a pop culture item, I think this is just indicative of like what are, this is what people think we want to buy these days. Like the, the products that are suggested for us are always interesting and it's it, there's a weird psychology behind it but with this well, right, i i feel like it's this uh this need for everything to be marketed as an experience yes yeah supposedly millennials are obsessed with experiences we don't want things we want we want to see the world and by see the world what we actually mean is we want to have like surround sound shitting speakers i don't know <laughs> i want to have a relationship with, with my toilet well like a literal bob's burgers episode right yeah i mean c- can you imagine if you were in a bathroom where everything was a smart like you had it was a smart tub smart shower smart mirror smart toilet like what do you if you ask one of them the question it's like having four bathroom attendants at all time <laughs> like i mean i don't know the, each one of them is like oh did you want to look up stock prices sir like i i can't imagine this dystopian world in which you'd want to like be able to i guess talk to your shit receptacle <laughs> speaking of shit um bohemian rhapsody is the worst reviewed Golden Globes winner in over three decades. Now, 
This is especially interesting because I think as we chart uh, distance from, you know, the Harvey Weinstein revelations to now, it's, I mean, this is just indicative of how uh, the movement uh, hasn't uh, bled over to, you know, how, how they fucking pick an award because who directed this movie, Sam? Brian Singer, who has some nasty allegations against him from like 2003 when he, I guess, assaulted like a 17-year-old on a yacht. And uh, I mean, this is something that's been whispered about for quite a while that um, Brian Singer is uh, the host of some... uh, sort of events at his house with underage uh, boys uh, for many, I think many years. And, uh, you know, he's this overlooked sort of Hollywood uh, disgusting figure that his film was rewarded. I, I don't think he attended the event and no one thanked him in their acceptance speeches, including uh, Rami Malek when he won, I think he won best actor uh, for playing Freddie Mercury, but it's like, to give like the biggest award to Bohemian Rhapsody with that director, I mean, it would be, it's an odd choice. Yeah, I happen to agree. Also, I mean, it seems like his relationship with Rami Malek and the cast was kind of strained and he was famously, Brian Singer was fired from the film with like only a few weeks left in shooting or something like that. Yeah, and there was a point where they didn't even know if the movie would be finished. And uh, there was supposed to be an Esquire article coming out about Brian Singer before the movie was going to be released. And then it just never came out. So I wonder if there's still work being done on that or if uh, somehow it was shelved. I don't know. Yeah, and I think there were a lot of... It's odd to me that that movie won it all, given how many criticisms... Sorry, given how many criticisms there were of the film and of the aspects of Freddie Mercury, it's, you know, subjects life that were omitted from the movie's, you know, depiction of how it happened. And it's just surprising that this, that this one, I, I, I can't understand the process or the criteria by which films are evaluated by these awards. It seems so like cryptic and bizarre. I, I don't know. Absolutely. And let's move into story time where I just got a quick one, Sam. This is a story from public transit. I feel like that's always kind of a ripe sort of a story generator. It definitely is. I feel like you notice so many weird, uh, I guess, indications of what's on people's minds as they're on their commute from... I guess just watching them on the metro or the interactions you have with people on the bus or whatever form of mass transit you're on. So it was like the evening uh, after a long work day. I'm on the bus and it was one of those moments where you're in like the back row. So you're kind of crunched in there with five people. Of course. (laughs) And... Once the first stop came and the bus cleared out a little bit, I stood up and uh, sat down and then uh, in like an open seat next to a woman 
who was like this middle-aged woman and she starts like hitting me on the arm right and then she's like why can't you sit normal and i have my headphones in listening to a podcast or something and i was like what and then she says why can't you sit normal you, you sat on my leg and i like didn't I, I come on i did not sit on this person's leg so i i i had to wait out the rest of the ride uh <laughs> she looks extremely enraged and honestly that's really it it was kind of just uh, this rage that honestly I, I i like know i will feel like i would have known if i had like bro- broached th- this person's space at all because especially because i was sitting on like the open seat I feel like that's a also a very New York encounter that you're relating to me. In DC, you know, the I guess our metro cars are I uh, organized a little differently than they are in New York, but people frequently choose just not to sit next to one another and will stand instead of sitting next to a person or sharing a seat. It's totally socially acceptable to block the second seat next to you and put your bag on it. No one gets mad at you at all. I mean, I see so many just daily abuses that would not stand up to the unwritten etiquette of mass transit in New York, where if you even slightly offend someone, as you may have done in this interaction, the person's get like liable to fuck freak scenario, the fuck out on you. I maintain my innocence and I do not wish that woman well. Well, it's always good to hear when you get in, you know, fights with, I guess, the your fellow members of the working class on mass transit, on the, the tube or whatever kind of euphemism you use for your particular method of getting to work and to home and everywhere else. Yeah, it's it's a weird ecosystem that you have to sort of pass through a lot if you're any sort of a commuter, but uh, hey, it's just another week in the uh, life of a lowly podcast host. I, I fucking hated driving to work. I love taking the metro to work so much more. I'd much rather be like forced to deal with randos who might yell at you on the metro than be by myself, I don't know, in a car, like screaming to no one in traffic, which is what inevitably happens if you rely on a car to go more than, you know, five or ten miles to work. It's fucking awful. I could never do that in New York. Anyone who commutes by car in New York is braver than the troops. It's true. And on that note, uh, that is the plunge. Uh, Please follow at plunge underscore podcast at spaventacular at wagstank and Sam, any final words? No, I hope everybody stays warm through the shutdown and uh, gets paid on time if you are affected by it or if you're furloughed or whatever. And 
hopefully the when the u.s government decides to reopen it'll be a bit better but i don't know any reason that we would have to have faith in that so just hope for the best who knows maybe donald trump can sell the jeff bezos nudes to fund the border wall yeah let's close out with uh trump talking about how jeff bezos's divorce is going to be a beauty thanks everyone Mr. President, and, and, and do you have any reaction to the news of Jeff Bezos' divorce and his uh, affairs? Well, I wish him luck. That's it? I wish him luck. It's going to be a beauty. All right.